0: On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for everybody that's here tonight, thank you for keeping us safe on our way, and uh, Father, I ask that you bless this message, uh, thank you for meeting with us this morning, and I know that uh, that message is encouragement to my heart, I know it's exactly what I needed, I pray that uh, as we leave here tonight, uh, we have uh, heard a number of uh, uh, places of scripture, uh, Uh, True passages that we can apply to our hearts both through life group hour and in the morning service and now this evening. I pray that uh, we will steward the truth that you have given to us. And we will steward the areas in which your spirit has convicted us. And that we will leave here changed and uh, conformed to your image. Father, I pray that over these next few moments, I know many of us are tired. And it just seems that that weather, uh, the cold air and, and the rain just uh, sometimes can make us real tired. I pray that over these next few moments, we'll be focused. I pray that you'll be with me as I speak. Give me the right words to say. May I be a blessing to uh, the congregation here this evening. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many people have a misperception of who God is. More specifically, some people only like to see certain aspects of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some wish to hyper-focus on perhaps the attribute of His love and look past the hatred of sin. Some like to emphasize the elements of His grace And negate the elements of His justice. In this passage of Scripture, these individuals wish to promote Christ as the conquering King and omit the aspect of His humble service. I'm always humbled by great leaders and people that are in authority and have prestige and a position that have a true heart to serve. It's easy when you get into a position such as government or in a position of maybe being a leader in a church or being a leader in your place of work, it's very easy as you move up the ladder to forget that God has called us to be servants. I'm humbled when we go different places and we see different people that have high up positions yet they still have a heart to serve others. I remember working at uh, uh, at a place um, uh, in in my uh, college years, and and I remember uh, just seeing a number of individuals in my life that had high up positions that very easily could have snapped their fingers and asked anybody to do work for them and lift them up and make them feel better and and accomplish all the work that they wanted. But I saw in their humility that they were willing to serve the people that were hired to serve them. Not servant leadership. Christ is the ultimate example of what it is to be a, a servant leader. I was uh, reading through uh, some of these, uh, some examples here of some, some folks that uh, were, were servant leaders, and, and uh, I came across this uh, little illustration here of, of uh, a man by the name of, of Dwight Morrow, the father of Ann Morrow Lindbergh. Uh, once uh, held a dinner party uh, to which Calvin Coolidge had been invited. After Coolidge left, Morrow turned to the remaining guests at the party uh, that, that, uh, and, he, and he said that he thought that Coolidge would make a good president. The others disagreed. They felt Coolidge was too quiet and that he lacked uh, color and, and personality. No one would like him, they said. And then, age six, spoke up. I like him. Then she displayed a finger with a small bandage around it. He was the only one at the party who asked about my sore finger. And that's why he will make a good president, said Morrow. I appreciate people that sometimes they have a lot on their plate and they have an agenda and they want to be successful and they want to move up the ladder, yet they still care about the needs of the people that are around them and they're, they're personable and they, they truly uh, have a heart of compassion and care for the people that are around them. The world's model of leadership concentrates on, on uh, harnessing the energy of followers to make me successful. Servant leadership is about helping others reach their potential for Christ. Jesus was the prime example of this character. He was the king. He had position. He had every right to command his followers to do anything for him. But rather, he came to minister to others. We're reminded in Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 20 rather, in verse number 28, uh, For as even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. We pick up the story here in verse number 12, and we, we begin to see that this is the last week of Christ's earthly ministry, before He uh, is betrayed and eventually uh, is crucified on the cross. He rides into Jerusalem. We know this day to be an important day. It is what we know today as Palm Sunday. From this passage, I'd like for us to see four aspects of this chapter that help remind us of who Christ truly is and how He challenges us to live. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us first tonight to see fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. Look at me at verse number 12. On the the next day, much people that were come to the feast, uh, when when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found the young ass, sat thereon. As it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh. Sitting on an ass's colt. And as we look at this passage of scripture, we see that there's fulfilled prophecy, and it's a very interesting occasion. One of the very first things we see in this passage is a heightened excitement. A heightened excitement. This, uh, This time was a time where folks were coming from all around they were not just in Jerusalem people were traveling from other countries from other areas of Israel and they were all converging together for this great day of Passover it was an exciting occasion it was a time where perhaps relatives had gone away for business or they had moved uh other places and and now it was the time where people were going to come back together and maybe there was lost friends and uh and there was going to be a rekindling of relationships when you came back for Passover this was an exciting time. It was a time of family, a time of friends, a time of gathering. Jewish friends and family would gather around and they would perhaps reminisce. It was a time of reminiscing and reflecting and even flashing back. It was just four days before the Passover, a time of reflection of what God did for the nation of Israel as He saved them from the plague of the firstborn. Back in the book of Exodus, we know that the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians and they had been enslaved for a long time and, and so many waited for the deliverance of, of God on the people of Israel and they longed for that. They sang for that. All they wanted was to be delivered to the Promised Land, the land that God had made a covenant with their father Abraham and, and was passed down to Isaac and then to Jacob, and they longed for the day that God would deliver them into the promised land. We know the story that God called Moses, and Moses then went into uh uh, uh, uh into Pharaoh, and he 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 said that famous phrase Let my people go, let God's people go, let them get out of here, and, and Pharaoh said no. And his heart was hardened. We know the story, the plagues came, one at a time, and, and, and there was darkness, and there was pestilence, and there was, uh, there was uh, uh, frogs, and there was uh, all kinds of things that took place over this period of time, and finally, the very last plague was the death of the firstborn. We know the story. God told the nation of Israel to get a lamb, perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, and Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts. We sing that song. When I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. And anyone that was behind the door there of, of the doorpost covered in blood ha, uh, was spared from the death angel coming and, and taking the life of the firstborn male. We see here that this was a time that then led Pharaoh to uh, eventually relinquish his denial of the, uh, the Israelites. And he allows them to then march on and to travel into the promised land. And it was an exciting time. As people were coming for Passover, they would reflect not only on the times they had with their friends and their family, but the time in their history when they would look back and they would see uh, that God delivered us. This was an exciting event. Not only was there time of flashing back on the Passover, but we also see that there were some that even remembered what Jesus had done. Verses 17 and 18, the people therefore that was with Him, When he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. So there's reflecting with family and friends. It's an exciting occasion. They're reflecting on what God did uh, as as they honor Passover. But they're also reflecting on the fact that, hey, Jesus had done a miracle here in that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was a time of reflecting, but also it was a time foretold. It was a time foretold. Israelites had had many, many, many of Passovers year after year after year after year after year. But this Passover was unlike any other Passover. In Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24 through 27, there is a prophecy that's given. And let's all turn there, and we'll read uh, just a, a small section of, of this great prophecy from Daniel, and how he uh, prophesied of uh, the the, uh, the weeks, the seventy week, or the uh, uh, the weeks that uh, were going to uh, take place. And there's a divide within these weeks. Daniel chapter 9. The Bible says this in verse number 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon my people, and upon the holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sin, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of, and, and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore... And understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks the street shall be built again. I will even in the uh, uh, the troubles uh, times. Uh, After the threescore and two weeks uh, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people uh, of the prince that shall come uh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the the war, desolations are determined. He shall confirm that covenant with many uh, for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause... The sacrifice and the oblation to cease, for the uh, over uh, spreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until uh, the uh, consummation and that uh, determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And so we find here that that Daniel is laying out seventy weeks. And the term weeks is simply a set of sevens. And so there's 70 sets of seven that will transpire. And those uh, sets of seven are years. The prophecy was determined, was divided rather into three periods. The first is seven times seven. So there would be the, uh, seven uh, uh, years of seven. Seven sets of seven, rather. Uh, took the Jews to the end of the Old Testament period. Through the rebuilding of the city... Uh, in troublesome times, uh, starting with the date 445 B.C., when in the 20th year of his reign, uh, Artaxerxes issued his decree permitting Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and build it. So we see that uh, at the time that Artaxerxes initially allows his people uh, to go back into the land and to rebuild the walls, you understand, you, you know the story of, uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah as they go back into uh, Jerusalem and as they rebuild the walls. From that point all the way uh, until really the end of the Old Testament would be a set of sevens right there. It uh, would be 49 years. Then he followed the second period of 62 uh, times seven. That took the Jews down uh, through the so-called silent centuries. The intertestimonial period between the Old and New Testament to the time where the Messiah would be cut off, up until the point where Jesus, we know the story now, would come. And so as a Bible scholar, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, all the different individuals that were part of the the Jewish rulers, they had this date circled in their calendars. They were were able to discern what Daniel was saying in that he was giving a specific set of years that things would take place. He was giving a specific set of years when uh, prophecy would cease and when uh, there would be no uh, prophets of the day and that there would be a Messiah that would come and enter, and the Bible says that He would be cut off. It wasn't a coincidence that Jesus came when He said He did. It was prophesied all the way back in the book of Daniel to the exact year, yea, even this exact day, that Jesus would come into Jerusalem. And so this wasn't just any Year. This wasn't just any Passover, this was the one that Daniel said, look out, Messiah is coming and he will be cut off. But they rejected that. Instead, instead of interpreting it the way that the Bible meant and the way that God meant it, uh, we see that uh, they they looked at it as, uh, uh, the, of course, the Pharisees, they wanted to completely reject it. They didn't want to claim that Jesus was the Messiah and that he is the, um, the uh, prophecy fulfilled in the book of Daniel. And, and so they would reject it. Some were just naive to it. We'll look at that here in just a moment. But as we get into verse number 13 of our passage of Scripture, uh, if you're back with me uh, at John chapter 12, we find not only is there a heightened excitement, things are starting to buzz in Jerusalem. There are people coming from all over. It's a joyful occasion. There is a hopeful expectation Look at what this multitude says as we look at verse number 13. These people took palm, uh, branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him, uh, that is Jesus, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna means save now. Save now. They expected Jesus to come as a conquering king, marching into the city to overthrow the Roman government and allow the nation of Israel to be free from that uh, evil Roman empire and to set up His millennial reign and begin to rule here on this earth. We know that Jesus did not come for that purpose. We know Jesus did not come at this particular moment to die on the cross, uh, or rather, or he, he came to die on the cross. He did not come to be the king. And they say, look here, uh, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This shows his title and his authority that they wish to see. They didn't want to see a humble servant. They didn't want to see the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. What they wanted is a mighty ruler. What they wanted is a king. What they wanted is somebody that could liberate them from their trial and difficulty in the Roman emperor. So there's a hopeful expectation that Jesus would fulfill that. But then, I want us to see humility exemplified. For it was not the purpose of being a conquering king for why Jesus came, but rather to be a humble servant who would die on the cross. As we look at this idea of prophecy being fulfilled, not only was the Book of Daniel being fulfilled, but there was another passage of Scripture, Zechariah, chapter nine, verse number nine. The Bible says this: "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy King cometh, unto thee. He is just and having salvation." And we could stop right there. And that sounds like a conquering king. He even calls him a king. He cometh. He is just and having salvation. You look at that and you say, surely this is the Messiah who is coming, who is marching in, who will overthrow uh, the greatest empires in the earth. But continue on as you look at the end of Zechariah 9.9. 9, the Bible says, lowly, riding upon an ass, Upon a colt and a foal of an ass. while this was a prophecy, it was interpreted and sele- it was misinterpreted and selectively discerned. They looked at the first part of what Zechariah was saying, but they didn't look at the second part that he's lowly. Can I tell you this? What king would ride on a donkey? Kings do not ride on donkeys. Kings ride on horses. They they want to conquer. They want to get somewhere quickly. They want to cover a lot of ground. I was looking at this uh, passage and uh, I... I opened uh, up to uh, Webster's 1828 uh dictionary and it began to uh read about this donkey and and uh the uh the dictionary says this this animal has long uh slouched ears short mane a tail covered um uh uh, uh, w- uh with long hair at the end he is usually uh of ash color and uh black uh a bar across his shoulders but now look at this the tame or domestic ass is uh Uh, is is patient to stupidity. He's slow and carries a very heavy burden. He is slow, but very sure-footed. And for this reason, very useful in rough, steep hills. The purpose of this donkey was not to cover a lot of ground. The purpose of this donkey was to bear a heavy burden. It was to bear Jesus Christ who ultimately would bear the sins of all mankind. And ultimately, Jesus would ascend to Mount Calvary. He wouldn't cover a great plain. He would go up a rugged, rough hill, and he would bear uh, Jesus, who was not the conquering king at this time. Sure, he is a king, but that was not his purpose. That was not what he was trying to reveal to the people. He was exemplifying great humility as he would eventually die on the cross. Oftentimes, people will turn to God and try to make Him what they want Him to be. Sure, God is love. But that does not excuse the Christian to look past the fact that God is also just. God is also holy. Folks like to abuse grace and say it's a license to do whatever we want. No, my friend. We need to look at the full scope of who God is. And we can't just look at at certain aspects that are convenient for us at certain times. We need to understand that God is God. And He will choose uh, what how He uh, uh, wishes to unveil Himself. And at this time, the people want to look at Him as, He is our conquering King. Please, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. When He says, merely, no, I have come as a humble servant. I've come not to conquer the human element. I've come to conquer the spiritual element. I've come to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind. So we see fulfilled prophecy here. But I want us to see next a failed perception. A failed perception. In verses 16 all the way down through 22, we find three characters within this body that I think we can relate with. Look at verse number 16. These things understood not his disciples at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle and uh and, and there I'm sorry I missed the verse the Pharisees therefore said among themselves perceive ye how ye prevail nothing behold the world is gone after him there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast the same came therefore to Philip which was of Bethsaida of Galilee and desired him saying sir we would see Jesus. We desire, we intend to see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. We find three characters here in this passage that we can relate with, and the first that I want us to see is the disciples in verse number 16. They understood not, the disciples were in the midst of uh, Jesus and this crowd as he is marching through Jerusalem. And uh, they're a little baffled. They're a little puzzled. What's going on? Uh, we don't exactly understand uh, why they're doing these things. And then all of a sudden, it seemed that a light bulb moment just came across the disciples. And they say, Oh, that's why this is happening. It was foretold uh, in Zechariah 9.9. We understand now why this is happening to uh, to Jesus. And, and sometimes we see God doing a work in our own life, and we stand there puzzled as to why God is doing what He's doing. Do we not? We don't have times where uh, God is doing a work, and ultimately God's going to get glorified in a situation, and we stand there and we say, uh, uh, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why are you allowing difficulties? Why are you allowing persecution? And a lot of times we forget that the Scripture tells us it's going to happen. Yea, all that will love godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we scratch our head. Why am I being persecuted at work? Why am I struggling? Why, do I, why am I lonely sometimes? Why, why is society uh, ostracizing me? Because... Uh, God uh, uh, says it in His Word, and we have times in our life where God is doing something, good, bad, or indifferent, and we stand there puzzled when God clearly has uh, laid it out in His Word as to why He's doing it. Not only, though, do we see these disciples, they're a little perplexed, and finally things start to click for them, and they finally get back to, oh, I remember, yeah, the Scriptures say it. But then we also see the Pharisees. We see the Pharisees. Go over with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we find a little bit more uh, detail as to what these uh, Pharisees uh, were were saying specifically to Jesus. We find a small excerpt in John, but uh, uh, another passage of Scripture that records uh, this very same event is in Luke chapter 19, in verse number uh, uh, 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Rebuke the people that are praising you. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. We think that God deserves the glory. There are people that want to steal God's glory or perhaps even uh, inhibit uh, God from getting the praise. They seek to push against God and His plan and they, str- uh, they, they, they uh, 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 give strife uh, uh, at His glory. And that's what these Pharisees were doing is they were saying, hey, we don't want Him to be praised anymore. This isn't good for our business. This isn't good for our lifestyle. This isn't good for uh, uh, the Jewish customs and traditions that we've set up. Uh, so we need to silence this. We need to stop this. And later on we find that the Pharisees said that, that all the world is being drawn to Jesus and, and everybody is flocking to this Jesus. We need to stop it. And these Pharisees, we ultimately know what they would plot and what they would plan is ultimately to, uh, if, if you, if if you can't, uh, 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 if you can't beat them, right, then they had to kill them. They couldn't win out in their message if they weren't getting the popularity that they so longed for. And and they wanted the praise from these people. Then uh, we just have to get him off this earth. We need to remove his message, his ability to speak. And there are many in our society today... They will try to mute us as Christians as we long to give glory to our Heavenly Father. And they will say, no, you can't say that. No, you can't pray that. No, you can't post that. And we say, I'm going to give God the glory with what's going on in my life. I can't help but be a testimony. I can't help but give praise to my God. I think often as we sing here on Sundays, I look around and the vast majority I see uh, praising God. Even this morning as we, as we sang, we had the ensemble up in here and, and it was it was just a great time of praising God. You know, I look around and in the midst of us all corporately praising, there are those that just stand there. And they almost look like they're in pain. And they just stare up at you like, why are you doing this? Some of them are just getting new into church, right? They, they don't understand, what, what's this whole praise thing? Why, why are you singing about His blood? right? Listen, our world's not afraid to show blood and promote blood on Halloween. But we as Christians shouldn't be ashamed to, to, to show that the blood of Jesus Christ has done something for me. It saved my soul, and I can't help but praise the Lord for all He's done. Sometimes people stand there and they just look and, what's going on? There are others that perhaps even try to steal the show. Sometimes there's people that come into church and they say, well, I don't like that people are focusing on that pastor. And they sometimes like to just talk amongst themselves and steal the show. There's others that that try to. Uh, uh, we we know that there's uh, other churches that sometimes have people that try to disrupt services. Why? They want to they want to steal the glory from God. They have the spirit of Antichrist within them that says, "I don't want God to get glory. I don't want anybody to praise Him." May we as Christians never live the life like these Pharisees, where we try to steal the glory that is due our Father. May we always be trying to praise him and give him the glory. And finally, uh, we see here the Gentiles. There are disciples. These people, it took, them a, it took them a little bit to kind of put pieces together. And I can relate with them. Can't you? Sometimes I, I'm just a little simple. Sometimes I'm not totally understanding what God's doing and why he's doing it. But eventually at the end of it, hey, I, oh, I get that. I, I'm discerning that now. May we never be like the uh, the, the Pharisees, though, that are trying to uh, steal God's glory. But then we get to the Gentiles, the Gentiles in verse number uh, 20 uh, of the passage Scripture we were just looking at. And uh, the Bible says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So these people were really different, right? We we know that at Passover, obviously there's a lot of Jews that would come in, but now we have some Gentiles that are getting involved. This is really the beginning uh, of what we see today of the reaching of the Gentiles. This was really the first time that we're starting to see that the Gentiles and Jesus are, are, are getting together. Now, obviously, at this point in time, Jesus has come to deal with Israel first and to reach with them. And once Israel said, I don't want any part of this Jesus, all of a sudden now the gospel gets uh, spread out. And I'm thankful uh, for that aspect, that we as Gentiles are able to receive uh, the gift of salvation and understand and and be uh, bearers of truth and passing it on to this generation. But, at this point, we begin to see that these Gentiles are being reached, and these uh, Greeks were Greek-speaking Gentiles. They were Hellenes, not just Greek-speaking Jews. They are representatives of the Gentile world. They might uh, uh, might well have been uh, God-fearing Gentiles, those who were uh, uh, attracted to a Jewish, the Jewish religion, but who would not take the uh, irrevocable steps of becoming. Fully proselytized. These Gentiles would occasionally go to Jerusalem on uh, festival occasions. They were allowed to go into the court of the Gentiles in the temple and worship there. Some of these approached Philip and his disciples with a spontaneous question. They wanted to see Jesus. We intend we're here so we can see Jesus. We want to be a, uh, we want to witness what is going on here. We've heard some things about uh, this Jesus individual. We heard that he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, and that sparked our curiosity. We'd like to see some more of this. Evidently, they had been impressed by the uh, fervor in the city about this miracle-working Jesus. They were in Jerusalem to worship at his uh, feet. But unfortunately, we see that they sought Jesus for the wrong reasons, at least in my opinion. From what we can discern, these Gentiles, these Greeks, never got an opportunity to see Jesus. Now some have speculated that perhaps it was because Jesus was still tending to the nation of Israel and he was awaiting them ultimately uh, uh, full-blown rejecting him before he would go into the second portion of then reaching the Gentile people. But a uh, uh, very first thing is they uh, is, is we understand that they came to Jesus and he never truly, uh, uh, as we can tell from Scripture, had a time where they uh, went to him. I personally believe that when they sought Jesus, it was for his earthly uh, goods. It was for the fact that uh, perhaps their ears were tickled and they were uh, excited at the fact that he uh, had raised people from the dead. They did not maybe accept him as the true Messiah, but they thought that he was a good deed uh, doer. And so there was failed perceptions from these three characters. Next I want us to see is the forgotten principles. Verse number 23, And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this cause came I into uh, into this hour. Jesus straightened out His disciples and the multitude that was around Him as there's different uh, perceptions of who Jesus is, and He sets things straight with them. After all the pomp and circumstance, perhaps things have kind of calmed down and Jesus is able to get away a little bit and, and not be in the midst of all this crowd. There, they, uh, there was, uh, off to the pomp and circumstance, uh, He further emphasized that He's not coming to accomplish what they want. He had come to die. He was born to die upon Calvary. We see in verse number 24 that He, uh, he is preaching to them that there is life. From death. There is life from death. Jesus was coming not to overthrow government, but rather to overthrow Satan and his stronghold uh, of of bondage upon God's people. And, and, And we experience that today as we have accepted Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior. We have freedom from sin because of what Christ did. We have eternal life because of the death of Christ on the cross. I'm thankful for folks that understand this true element of God's love. We know that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Over on the other side of the globe, we understand that there is much turmoil and and tension, to say the least, going on over in Israel. I came across this story about uh, two individuals I thought this story was quite touching and exemplified what Christ did for us. These two individuals were married, a dare and a tie. They lived in the uh, Kafar Aza kibbutz kind of a, a a little camping area, uh, a, a, a kind of uh, right outside, uh, just outside of the, the Gaza Strip there, and not a great area of town, not a great place to be living and abiding and, and having your kibbutz. They, they heard a, a shooting from a few houses down. Thankfully, these uh, this family, Adair and uh, Etai, they they had a safe house. And they had practiced with their family, their two twin, uh, five-month-old children. And they, they had practiced, uh, in preparation to this great turmoil. And they, uh, would, as soon as they would hear something, they would send the individuals, uh, the young children into the safe house. And the safe house was nothing more than just a simple shed. And, but it was bulletproof and it was soundproof. And as they heard the shots from down the street, they, Went right into action and they sent their two 10 month old, uh, children into this, uh, safe house and, and, uh, uh Adair and, and, Atai, they grabbed their guns. And much like any of us, if we were in a situation where our families are in danger, we would do everything we can to protect them. They grabbed their guns and their munition and they began to fight. They killed seven Hamas, uh, terrorists. But as they were in the midst of firing, they realized that their ammunition was getting low, and eventually they ran out of ammunition, and they were killed. Thirteen hours later, Adair's brother came and saw the children, and they he saw his brother who had been killed, and his wife who had been killed, and... He knew that there was a safe house in the back, and he opened it up, and thankfully these children were alive. They'd been spared because of the great fighting and defense of Adair and Atai. He told the reporter that as he saw these children, he realized that he was going to immediately take them into his own home and raise them as if they were his own. And as I hear this story, I think of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who when Satan thought he had won, thought he had hold over us, thought that we were in bondage and had no choice but to be enslaved in a pit of hell, Christ stepped in. Christ defended us. Christ took the payment of the sin on the cross and He exemplified the greatest love as He died for us and from His death produced life and life eternal for the world. Thankful for this principle that these folks forgot, that there is life from death. But there is also another principle of, in losing, there is gain. In losing, there is gain. I'm not going to belabor this point too much, but this really speaks much to what we spoke about this morning. About denying yourself submitting to God, drawing nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you, when we relinquish our own will, when we relinquish our own ambitions, when we relinquish our own sin, and we decide to say, I submit to you, I'm giving up this choice, I'm giving up this lifestyle, I will submit, we can gain. But also we see here that if we wish to be honored, we must serve. Look with me at verse number 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. We understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse number 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. All of us tonight, I believe we would like to have a good judgment seat of Christ. There is no one in here whether uh, whatever path you decide to take, whatever you are currently doing, none of us truly wish to stand before a holy God, look him in the face and say, uh, have him uh, look at us and judge us on the things that we do, and come up negative, bring up repeatedly the bad things in our life. The Bible says if you wish to be honored on that day, if you wish to have the Father look at you and honor you, you must uh, uh, surrender your life. You must serve and have the purpose uh, to uh, serve the Lord Jesus Christ in all that you do. It doesn't mean fully surrendering to full-time Christian service. It could. God so desires for you to be involved in. But wherever you are, you have the heart to say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to glorify Him. I'm going to proclaim His message. I'm going to be a witness to those that are around me. I will follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ and be a servant in the midst of this culture. We see these three forgotten principles. And lastly, I want us to see the focused purpose. The focused purpose. We see at verse number 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. People, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. And others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Uh, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus understood that from the very moment He breathed His first breath on this earth, He came for one purpose and one purpose only. It was to die for the sins of all mankind. And as Jesus entered His teen years and He preached in the temple, He realized that that date is getting closer. And as he then moved in and was baptized by John the Baptist, he understood that that date that he would die is getting closer. And as he did miracles, and as he went on the Mount of Transfiguration, and as he came off, and as he uh, dealt with the the, the Pharisees and and the scribes, and and all these folks that were about to persecute him, he realized that he was closer than ever to his ultimate death and betrayal uh, as he would die on the cross. Now he's in the very last week. Imagine any of us in a situation like this. Imagine if you were to go to a doctor and they were to say you have a severe cancer and you have but one week to live. A lot of us would be doing our part to try to get things in order. And in reality, while we are all Uh, uh, of worth in the eyes of God of great worth in the eyes of God nothing was more important than what Jesus was about to do Jesus was about to die and, and atone for the sins of all mankind but beyond that he understood that he was training his disciples to take over the earthly ministry and establish the church and get that going for the evangelism of the entire world things could not just be left In chaos. They couldn't just be left without specific order and and teaching and and guidance. And so Jesus in His very last uh, week here on this earth, He is, of course, uh, 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 looking forward to the fact that He was going to die. and Looking forward to the fact not that He was excited. Like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. He, he, He foresaw that He would be dying on the cross. He knew that would happen. Uh, but he, we, of course, know the turmoil that he would go through in the Garden of Gethsemane as he bled uh, uh, great drops of blood, as he a- agonized over the sin that he would bear for the sins of all mankind. And in this passage of Scripture, we see that he was focused on that purpose, but he was focused primarily on his Father. He's focused on his Father. Verse number 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. I'm thankful that Jesus, at this time, he was obedient to his father. We find in Philippians chapter 2 that he became obedient to his father's will and became a servant and was made in the likeness of men and fulfilled all that his father willed for him to do. Again, we look at Jesus. He is a king. He is the second member of the Trinity. He is God. He could do whatever he wanted. But he said, I choose to submit and focus on what the Father desires me to do. Do you and I have that same attitude of Jesus Christ? Sure, we may not know the very hour that we are going to be taken from this earth. We never know that. Some pass from this earth just like that. Without ever having the opportunity to say goodbye to anybody. Without any family members around and they're gone from this earth. Jesus knew when He was going to die. But even still, He focused on His Father. You and I, not knowing when we are going to die. May we live every breath of our life trying to please our Father and submit to His will. Say, God, not my will, but Thine be done. May I fully surrender and submit. If Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, can submit, so we should as well. He was focused on his father, but he was secondly focused on finishing on the cross. He was focused on finishing on the cross. He says here in verses uh, 34 through 36, or or rather, um, back it up a little bit, 30, uh, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince uh, of the world be uh, cast out. And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto Him. Verse number thirty-three. This He said, signifying what death He should die. So, verse number thirty-three is very important. As we look at verse number thirty-two, if you just read verse number thirty-two, you think, well, uh, that lifting up must mean that we are just uplifting God. We're giving Him praise, and people are, are 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 saying He's 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 worthy of praise, and they're uplifting Him in that aspect. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying lifted up, meaning He would be put on a cross and the cross would be lifted up from the earth and placed in the ground. And He would uh, be hanging there on the tree, being the sacrifice for every one of us. And it is in that that he was focused. He said, I'm not going to quit. I know what agony I'm going to go through. I know that I'm going to be humiliated. I know that I'm going to be shamed. I know that I will have a crown of thorns on my head. I'll be spat upon. I'll be mocked. But I'm going to go through it. Because I want to see this accomplished. I want to see it for the accomplishment of the glorification of my Father in heaven. And ultimately, Satan would be completely defeated, never to have even a a small chance of victory uh, again, and offering us great victory as well. So he's focused on finishing on the cross, and finally he was focused on his followers. He's focused on his followers. As I mentioned, Jesus had to set things in order you 'll find in the latter portions of of John that really, from John twelve all the way to the end of uh, of the book in essence is just all about what Jesus does in the last week of his life. Other passages of scripture uh, develop much more on uh, the time before but John really focuses on this very last week of Jesus' ministry. And, and within that, he's headed to the cross, but he cares about the people that are following him. He cares about imparting truth to another generation of these disciples that ultimately will carry the torch of truth, uh, of course, to the Jewish people, that, that, but then beyond into the world. We see in verse number 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. You see, why God spoke to his son was not so that Jesus would know what his father sounded like. Rather, God the Father speaking to his son Jesus so that Jesus would not know what his father sounded like. He already knew what God the Father sounded like. He had heard him. He sat with him. He was in his presence. It wasn't for Jesus to hear His Father. It was for the people around to be affirmed that this is the Messiah. This is the one that God the Father truly had sent to die for the sins of all mankind. He cared for the followers. But then uh, go down to verse number 34. The people answered Him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how uh, sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? I believe that they're referencing Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 7. The Bible says, Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish uh, with judgment and with justice from hence ever, uh, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So I think again that these people that are around Him are just uh, and clinging on for a last glimpse of hope that maybe, just maybe, Jesus will be the king. Maybe, just maybe, all this is, is this not making sense to us. We really want him to be the conquering king that overthrows. And So what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean that, that you're going to be lifted up from the earth? We, we know what the Bible says. It says that there will be a throne, a, a Messiah that will stand forever. Surely, you don't mean death. Surely, you don't mean that you're going to leave us. Perhaps there were some that were wishing to gain from Jesus' conquering endeavors. Perhaps there were some that thought they would kiss up to Jesus, and when He sat on the throne as the King of the earth, that he uh, they would get some kind of benefit. And they're just holding on to that last bit of hope that maybe Jesus would be their liberator. But again, we see that they had a false focus. They didn't truly understand what Jesus was trying to do. We know that Luke chapter 19, verse number 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In the context of this, we know that the seeking and the saving was not a physical seeking and saving, but a spiritual seeking and saving. Jesus was not worried about their, uh, their physical needs. He was worried, first and foremost, about their spiritual need. And all of us need to come to a point where we understand that Jesus is not just a good deed doer, and He is my genie in a bottle, but Jesus is the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords, He's the Messiah, He's the sacrifice for my sins, and I owe everything to Him. All of us fall prey to this idea that we like to pick and choose what is expedient in our life. You understand, after God died on the cross, He does not, He is, he is not, we are not entitled to have anything from Him. You understand that? He is the supreme creator of the universe. He could have, when we took of the fruit back in the beginning of the Garden of Eden, he could have left us here to all rot. But he decided to have a relationship with us. And sometimes we come to him and we say, I'm entitled that you meet my need. I'm entitled that you do exactly as I tell you to do. And that's what these people were struggling with. Jesus was not conforming to the image they wanted And they had to come around to this aspect and understand that Jesus would only be with them for a little while. Look with me at this last passage of Scripture, verse number 35 and 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come uh, come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light. Ye may be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Jesus was focusing on his followers. He wanted everybody to come to know him. He was telling them point blank, I will not remain here long. You can ask me questions. You can try to decide what you want to do with me. You can decide whether you want to get on the boat or get off the boat. But I'm only here for a little while. And there are many people in our life that we come across and we try to witness to them. And perhaps, maybe that only time that we get an opportunity to witness will be the only time that they can truly experience what hope is. Unfortunately, nobody is guaranteed the element of being uh, told the Gospel more than once. Sometimes witness to somebody and they say, no, I'm not interested. And I wonder, is that the last time? Is that the last opportunity they will ever have to hear the saving message of the gospel? I think a lot of us have this mentality as we, uh, because we neglect uh, soul winning, we try to justify it and say, well, surely somebody else will come along. Surely somebody else will offer them hope. Surely somebody else will give them the gospel. My friend, when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, Hey, I want you to be a witness to that person. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, This is their last opportunity. Nobody is coming behind you. Nobody is going to replace what I've called you to do. We have to determine, are we going to be obedient? Are we going to share that light? Or are we going to let people stumble in the darkness? The light of this world... We'll only be here so long. The light that I speak of, of course, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the saving power that we possess, that we uh, uh, know through the Scriptures. And, and we only have but a short time before ultimately we will be raptured or taken away from this uh, 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 earth. And the people that are left here will have little to no hope through the tribulation. Let us do our part while the church exists, while God has commissioned us here to be witnesses, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, as the Bible says. Jesus was focused. Focused on His Father. Focused on finishing. He was focused on His followers. I hope today that you have the very same focus that Jesus had. I'm going to please God with my life. I'm going to understand that the gospel is to be valued. It is to be uh, cherished. It is to be shared. And from that, I will focus on other people that come behind me. You understand tonight, and I close with this, we have a great group of of people in our church that help in our discipleship program. I'm thankful for our discipleship program. It has grown immensely over the last month or so. We have a lot of people that have stepped up and stepped out of their comfort zone to help and, and, and teach and sit down one-on-one and, and bear burdens. But while our discipleship ministry may be large, there are so many others that need discipled. So maybe they don't need discipling quite like our program, but they still need help. They still need some hope. They still need somebody to come alongside them and lead them. I think of our teenagers A lot of times we look at our teenagers and we we scoff and say, why are they not singing? Why are they not paying attention? Why are they talking during the service? Why do they have a bad attitude? Very few of us are willing to look and say, "Those, those are the followers. Those are the people that need discipled. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have grandkids. And you say, you know what? I'm going to look past what they're dealing with. I'm going to look past the inadequacies. I'm going to look past uh, uh, their, uh, their sin and, and maybe bad behavior. And I'm going to help disciple them. I'm going to help teach them. We know what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2, 2. And things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was teaching others. He wasn't going to leave this earth and just depart and let truth just kind of be scattered. No, he had a purpose. He was focused. He fulfilled that. Tonight, I don't know how the Lord's working in your heart. It seems that these two messages, both this morning and, and tonight, in some uh, way, have come together. Perhaps it's God pricking our heart to say, submit. Give up your pride. Give up your will. Jesus gave up His will. He was the king, but he came to serve, not to be served. May we as Christians have that very same heart, that I am going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my being, with every bit of time, with every talent, with every treasure. May I steward it for the glory of God. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, You ordained this message for such a time as this, and I don't know what Your Spirit's doing in hearts, but Father, I pray that uh, this evening we will receive what You have for us. May we surrender. Some of us tonight may be gripping on to our own will. I want what I want. I want You to meet my need. I want You to do What I can't maybe we have a demanding attitude towards you, our our creator. Lord, may we submit to what you have for us and not have an attitude of, of arrogancy and entitlement. Thank you for the example of your son as he came to this earth. Sure he is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords, but he came as suffering servant, came as one, a lamb who died for the sins of all mankind. What great humility was shown through all of this. Help us as Christians to be humble and submissive to your leading. May we see many souls saved.